Hello everyone, I'm Lee. I'm Spencer. And this is the Lasso Lowdown, where you can lowdown on all things Dead Lasso. We are marching our way episode by episode through season two of the Apple Plus TV series Ted Lasso. We are on episode eight this week. Supersized episode, Spencer. We're at 45 minutes. Man, they seem to be growing every week. What this were is... your early thoughts? Well, first of all, this is easily the longest episode yet of the show, right? Uh, yeah, because it's a, it's a pure 45 minutes. I mean, we've had some that are like 40 or 35, 36 that we've just called 45 minutes. This is actually 45 minutes. <laughs> right. No ads, no credits counted in this. This is just a proper lot of material. The episode itself, there are scenes in this I just straight up loved. There are scenes in this that are some of the most emotion, emotionally affecting they've done yet on the show. And there's other scenes of this of where I I can't know yet whether I think it's a dumb choice by the writers or a dumb choice by the characters. And that's where it gets hard to judge it in the moment. Of where There's scenes I struggle to tolerate, but I can't really be certain yet whether I'm going to have that same opinion once the arc and what they're doing with it actually wraps up. Yeah, that's that's pretty on brand for you, right? Is that like everything is so dependent upon like how that where they go, where their resolution is that oftentimes it seems like you you have a tough time talking about these episodes in a vacuum, which I totally understand. I can do it a little bit more because what I what I like about the show is not necessarily the long term arcs, but the sort of scene by scene entertainment. I can tell you this episode was better than last episode. Last episode was was pretty low for me. Mm -hmm. I still didn't love this episode. I felt like. I'm increasingly starting to feel like with this show, there's a show that's going on that I don't care for, and then there's another show that's going on that I really like, and they happen to be mashed up together into Dramedy. one 45 minute thing. Yeah. Um, so we'll get all get into that uh, and all that and more here on the Lasso Lowdown. We have segment segments galore. We will start with biscuits with the boss, where Spencer brings a dessert to the episode. I will discuss a tea. Ted, yet again this week, takes another shot at tea, and I will attempt to convince our American audience that tea is not quite as bad as Ted thinks it is. We're going to recap. Spencer leads recap every single week, heroically banging out the notes, beat by beat, scene by scene. He breaks it down for us. Then we go to train wreck of the episode, which we're starting to get some train wrecks of the episode now. Spencer, Mm. uh, we we Mm. definitely are starting to get some here later in the back half of season two. Go to the Sports Center Top 10. We mentioned 10, not 11, not 9 things that we liked about the episode or little tidbits that we wanted to explore more. We end with the super serious Ted's Life Lessons of the episode. Spencer, it's going to be a super serious Ted's Life Lessons of the episode this week. could it be otherwise? Week. Yes. Um, yeah. Like, we've had weeks where I kind of stretched it to get, get some serious things out of the episode, but not this week. This week is certainly uh, pretty serious in parts. Little housekeeping here on the Lasso Lowdown. If you're enjoying our podcast, please go to your favorite podcast platform, whatever you're listening to this in right now. Rate, review us, definitely review us. We want to hear your reviews, folks. We want to hear what you think of the podcast. Why are you listening? What do you wish we would do? What do you wish we would change? What do you think? What would you like us to add? All of that stuff, uh, we certainly welcome on any podcast platform that you have. And if you like our stuff, you can always go to your favorite podcast platform. Type in Mangum Talks. That's M A N G U M. Mangum Talks, and you will magically get all of the pods that we have, all of the content that we have that's out there. And it is many, and it is varied, and it is all fun. So definitely check us out at Mangum Talks. Okay, that's the housekeeping, Spencer. I think it's time to start barreling through our segments. What dessert do you have for us this week on Biscuits with the Boss? Sir, challenged by you, I prepared this week. I went out and got a actual just slice of succulent moist chocolate cake from a corner bakery one i used to live right next to and then you know what you did 
you know what you did? You left me in a room alone 15 minutes with a slice of chocolate cake. You showed up late for the podcast. And I was so, late this week. In that 15 minutes, I promptly just was staring alone with that piece of chocolate cake. And being the man that I am, that could not last long. So I ate the cake before we got on the podcast. Luckily, though, I am the kind of person who has pantry cookies, which is an accepted term. <laughs> I hope everyone embraces that term. Pantry cookies. There you go. The kind of thing of where you have, it's, you know, 3 a.m., whatever else, you have a sudden desire for a dessert, you've got nothing previously prepared, what do you do? Oh, wait, I've got pantry cookies. Every house should have them. And so I just grabbed my pantry cookies, which are just dark chocolate squares surrounded by little bits of, of, of cookie shortbread, kind of similar to last week, just more focused on it. They are individually little wrapped things so they can last forever, and I find them quite tasty. So I'm going to be just chewing on a few of those because my cake plan went to hell. Uh, I don't think it went to hell. I think it played out exactly what it was supposed to. You 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 nommed it. You knocked it out. Uh, question for you on chocolate cake. Do you like the, the, the traditional chocolate cake with the two cakes, both like a yellow pound cake with the sliver in the middle of the chocolate icing? Or do you prefer what I had when I was growing up, which is, I'm not even sure you've had this, but in the South, we have these like nine layer fudge chocolate cakes with the super thin uh, cake layers with the fudge chocolate oh, icing all the way If you it. can do the proper nine-layer southern cake, it, th- that beats everything. That That's the best, obviously. That, 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 that That's a perfect experience. It's just you can't find those. They don't exist. I'll tell you, where I grew up, th- and I'm not, this is no bullshit, you could only get them from one gas station that was like 20 minutes out of town. <laughs> I love those places. Yes. And there was like this one little old lady in the back who made them for like a Texaco. And like you had to just go way the hell out of nowhere. Um, good thing it was a gas station because you need to get gas by the time you, you got there. And you would get the, the, the nine layer cake. And it took like... It was like um, it was like the Cronut circa five years ago in New York. It took like a three week reservation to get one of these cakes. Oh, but yeah. yeah, if you haven't had the the nine layer, ten layer, twelve layer, whatever it is, um, Southern Fudge chocolate cake, check that out. That is a banger. More layers, the better. When it comes to chocolate cake, is my point of view. It just adds to the experience. I agree with you there. Um, I like the icing ratio. Keep keep up in that icing ratio, and I'm all, I'm down for it. <laughs> Uh, okay, so for tea time with Lee this week. So this episode, definitely a serious episode. Uh, pretty much every single arc that we have, except for one, which was completely absurd. But for most of them, they're serious. <laughs> and so in that vein, I wanted a tea that was highly caffeinated because we have work to do. We have work to do mm-hmm. on ourselves, Spencer. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of we have a lot of sitting down with our psychiatrist working through our personal issues. And so with that in mind, the work, the I call this a work tea. This is Irish breakfast tea is what we're having mm. this morning. And specifically, I'm going traditional old school UK berries. I don't know if you've ever had berries tea before, but that is a I've very not, popular no. brand in the United Kingdom. It's pretty cheap. Um, I could I, I could relate it to, you know, like most of the drink the tea we drink in America is iced tea, right? Very much so, yeah. And we have Lipton, right, for iced tea. Mm-hmm. So this is the Lipton of British hot tea, is berries. That's what it is. It's Ooh. like the always available, pretty good, but cheap. Um, and it's Irish breakfast tea. I'll tell you this about the Irish, something I've figured out, is that whenever you put Irish in something, it's strong. Put a little yes. Irish on it. An it- Irish boxer, Irish whiskey, 
Irish tea. If you put Irish on something, it means you've amped it up a little bit. <laughs> it usually means it usually means spiking your own drink to a certain degree. Like, can you Irish my drink? Irish right now? coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is, you're just up in the intensity of it. Same thing with this tea. So if you need to lock in, settle down, do some work, uh, it's the Irish breakfast tea for you. Nice. Good thing to keep track of. Okay. Well, this week we are on episode eight. This bad boy is titled Man City for obvious reasons. Our our lovable losers at Richmond are taking on Man City and big old Wembley Stadium. And that is the premise for episode eight. Spencer, please take it away. Well, we begin with Dr. Sharon calling her own therapist Bridget, which I've been told before that therapists having their own therapist is not at all uncommon. That's actually very common. Yeah. Uh, Apparently, according to the t- their conversation, Ted Lasso is driving her fucking crazy. Because sure. he refuses to open up, and when he's being close to even being vulnerable, he fires off a zinger or, to quote, some obscure reference to something very specific to a 40-year-old white man from middle America. Well, that just summarizes Ted perfectly. That is on the nose. Uh, the thing that her therapist brings up, though, is that part of your problem is that you two are alike, which is one thing we kind of discussed earlier. He uses humor to deflect. You use your intelligence to keep people at a distance, which perfectly summarizes the two of them in a lot of ways. Dr. Sharon agrees. uh, And they kind of discuss the idea that the only way you're actually going to make progress with him is if you meet him halfway, which she's been doing little bits over the course of the season. She's just not made the full jump yet. Yeah, we talked about that. How She's opening up a little bit, but up until this episode, I don't think we had the full picture of her, which is, you know... She's opening up slowly, not only because that's kind of what you do in the profession, yeah, but also because of her own personality. It's because of her own personality and her own baggage, too, that she doesn't really seem to want to let anybody into, which I really do like that aspect of how they've done with this character, is that our perspective on her, our appreciation of her, has grown and changed at the same time Ted learns more about her. We're only seeing her through the perspective of Ted. That's been a fun journey as we get to understand her as a much more human person by the time we now reach this episode eight. Yep, and we see that agree. one of the things we see here is her just actually letting her hair down and have fun here is that she just gets on her bike and she just seems like she's just on her morning ride. Uh, while Witness, One Hope by Roots Manuva plays, she just seems to be enjoying the town. Looks happy. Uh, she's talking smack to people in their dogs and sweaters as she's going down the street. All's looking great until suddenly a car comes out of fucking nowhere and lays her out, knocking her unconscious on the ground while Coach Lasso calls on her phone. And given this show's tendency to, as we saw in episode one, just kill the dog, have kill the dog moments every now and then, were you at all worried that they decided to now off the character a lot later than you thought? First off, breakneck speeds we down 10 pints of bitter. Shout out to Witness One Hope. What a song. I mean, mm-hmm. telling me something, Roots Maneuver. Love that song. Um, I love also uh, Dr. Sharon giving the stinky face as she's listening to it. Anybody's a good good hip-hop fan, know, you know the stinky face. You're like, oh, yeah, give it to me. That's, that's dirty. Um, and then talking shit on the way, too. Talking that shit, walking the walk. I mean, she's a, she's a, a legit hip-hop head. This Mm -hmm. Dr. Sharon, something I didn't know about her and I really appreciated. To your question, which I had also penciled in here on my notes, I thought she was dead. What did you think? I I have continued to believe they had more to do with this character throughout the season, so I did not think she was dead, but there was always that little thought at the back of my mind that this show every now and then just feels the need to kill the dog. Who could say? I thought thought they'd killed her. Um, I mean, pretty much, they knew what they were doing, right? Because pretty much in cinema, when you do the crash... And then the 
um, phone the ring camera, in the hand. Yeah, and the camera focus away from the body, but you see the hand not moving and the blood. That is that is a pretty uniform. It's, it's a universal sign that somebody has been killed off in a show, right? Well, it does lead us to reaching, I think, our fastest intro of the season. Like, 149 we get into this one, if I got the timing right. It is. It's not the fastest ever. Fastest ever is 136, but it is darn close. That is that is very short. Well, it leads us to having a very interesting scene of where it's just Beard and Roy... Wait a second. One more thing I want to talk about. Please. Is, um, they do this many times through the episode. Is they? I think what they're doing is they're giving us insight into Dr. Sharon and how she works to show A... She, like all therapists, are flawed just like us. She's struggling with her own issues. But it shows us how to do therapy. Like, (laughs) she's showing, like, how she's operating with her therapist is how you're supposed to do it, right? She's, she calls her therapist when she's supposed to. She's honest with her therapist. She gets Mm -hmm. honest feedback. She accepts it, takes it in, and eventually acts on it. And that is to a T, how this thing is supposed to work. And so I, I thought that was really great. And that's not the only time this happens in this episode, where they show us and show Ted, hey, this is how this entire exercise is supposed to work and how it's helpful. So, wait, in therapy, I'm supposed to be honest with another person? Come on, man. You know I, you know I would never be able to function under those terms. Me, I'll honest, tell you this. No. There, there, is a, there is a lot of people wasting a lot of money lying to psychiatrists. <laughs> that's a hell of an hourly rate to lie to another person right there. Uh, anyway, yeah, go ahead. Well, Beard and Roy are enjoying what appears to be an unblinking arms cross stare down, which I really like if they do that like every morning just as part of their getting ready for the day thing. It what reminds me of like um, like Mace Windu and Yoda meditating and speaking to each other through the force. I feel like they're having a force conversation <laughs> with each other during this. The fan fiction you write for the show, sir, I have hopes to read it someday. <laughs> Keely walks in to offer a branding opportunity. She needs one coach for this. And with no words said, the message is conveyed that neither of these guys are interested at all. Right. Fuck you both. She walks off. Nate walks in, having apparently gotten the job in passing as Keeley was walking past him. I'm going to be a spokesman. He seems excited about it. However, discussing uh, what's going to be training for the day, Ted is absent on emergency, which Nate's not happy with. Because they got a big semifinal game up, coming up, and no one knows what the emergency is. The, the point that both Roy and Beard try to make repeatedly is... It's an emergency. He gets to tell you about it. If he wants to, you don't get to ask. Yep. Uh, Roy also immediately gets called away for an emergency himself, which again rubs Nate the wrong way, but it does set up that Nate gets to handle training for the day, which he seems overjoyed about. (laughs) I love when Nate tells Roy, where are you going, Roy? None of your fucking business. Like, he's like... (laughs) Hammering home the lesson. (laughs) And I love the moment that happens. Beard does the same point thing he did a second earlier. He said, yep, right there. (laughs) Yeah, I love the the burgeoning bromance here between uh, Beard and Roy. They seem to get each other pretty well. Also, uh, yeah. later in the episode, we have a moment where, where Roy has some, uh, he, he had had insight into Beard's behavior that nobody else did. Uh, very which true. I'll call out later, but it seems like those two kind of get each yeah. other. Uh, in the locker room, we get two players getting a call from Dad. And we get to see how differently those conversations play out. Did you catch that, on the phone the difference when, they, when, the, when the call came through? Oh, how, how do you mean? So uh, when Jamie, so when Sam gets the call from his dad, it probably looks like how your phone looks. It just says dad. And he just answers. When Jamie gets a phone call from his dad, dad is in quotation marks. I noticed that. I wasn't sure if that was just a quirk of an iPhone. I hadn't noticed before. 
yeah. yeah, that's an interesting thing right there. Well, Jamie, with the whole air quotes around dead, immediately just puts it on silent, which is probably a great call that he should have, you know, followed that philosophy later in the episode, too. Yes. Sam, on the other hand, who is reading A Wrinkle in Time on the exercise bike, uh, answers. Was that the book that, was that the book that, um... Lasso gave him in season one. It's a book he gave Roy in season one. It's apparently being passed around the locker room. Got it. Okay. Yep. It's the it's the same dog-eared copy too. So I think they're literally just passing it around the locker room. Yeah. Next up for Sam, the Da Vinci Code. Oh God. <laughs> and this is what finally breaks Sam. The naive the naive honesty, well meant well meant regard for the universe destroyed by Dan Brown. Uh, a stern voiced father answers on the other line. A purposely stern voiced father who says, "Son, do you know why I'm calling?" interesting that sam immediately responds no sir there are rules in that household apparently for how you hey is this sir yeah nice southern family uh the father reveals that cerithium oil has been ordered to stop operating in nigeria do you want to do it or me please give it to me i want to hear the same thing this is so stupid so oh god yes it is this is absolutely dumb so i actually enjoyed the plot point where those guys you know, at Sam's lead, at Sam's dad's lead, went out and prote- protested um, Dubai Air, Emirates Air, really, yeah. Dubai Air, and their relationship to cerithium oil and the damage that's doing in Nigeria. Like that whole plot point. But as we pointed out on this very podcast, they needed to follow up with legit consequences to that action. Instead, it seems like the only thing that happened is Dubai Air, whoop, you're off the bench, bang, banter, you're on the playing field. Now we have Banter, which is a tech startup company, but apparently has enough money to sponsor an entire football club in the Champions League. This is so... So they did not give us the payoff from that plot line, which is what you've been asking for. And instead, what did they give us, Spencer? That, oh... All Everything's wonderful. Sam, fi- Sam fixed it, but this is so stupid. It is, is such a corny bow tie on this plot line that I don't think anybody who's critically looking at this show wanted or needed. I mean, it, it, unless they can find a way to give us something more in the next four episodes with the plot line, it is, I think, fair to say the weakest one of the season. It had it started at an eleven, and you can't just start an eleven and then just go nowhere with it. But everything with respect to it, the financial situation, the sponsorship situation, the night freaking environmental damage and destruction of livelihood in Nigeria situation, all of it resolved off camera. Fine. It's all great. Yay. Come on, show you are better than this. Which, by the way, when we get the resolution, which is a dump, which is a resolution we, we did not want. It's a it's a resolution that makes the show dumber, I think. It's not even the most important plot point being conveyed in no. the scene. What they're really trying to do in this scene is show you the, the the juxtaposition between how Sam treats his dad and how Jamie treats his dad, and they threw in the cerithium oil thing on top of it. Un unhappy with the show. Yeah, that is I'm the not, first of two things I will rant about on this show. I I will almost assuredly be ranting about the same two things this episode, but we will find out. In the moment, and it is a nice moment between the two characters, Sam sure, and his dad sure. are, overjo- are overjoyed. We haven't had necessarily the best read on Sam's dad before. It's where Sam's always described his dad in beatific terms. And the one thing we ever got to say of his dad was a very, I thought, unnecessarily brutal series of text messages on this subject before. Which he had defended uh, the dad before. That it's a topic he's very passionate about, and you don't come across always the best in text. Which is fine, but it's all we ever got to see out of him. Now we get to see him here, and... Though he's clearly a bit of a stern father with a strict moral code, it seems like they have a good relationship through that. Right. Uh, 
Describes, he describes Sam as the butterfly whose wings made all of this happen. It's a great line, but it still frustrates me. That's apparently what the show's going with with respect to this plot. And it Sam did it. A, Sam did it. He fixed the world. Um, and it ends with a seemingly very heartfelt I love you on both of their parts. As, as you said, this is one of the two, I think, weakest plot lines of this season. Maybe the weakest. We'll discuss the other one before we're done with this episode. Neck and neck. It's neck and neck. Uh, Jamie's looking on with very envious eyes throughout this whole conversation to the point that he abandons his spotter obligations for the very poor Colin with the crushed larynx. Uh, yo, Sam- yo, Colin. Gotta cut the weights. This is just a little lesson out here to the to the kids. <laughs> Good from, lesson. From Uncle Lee. Um, no one cares how much you can lift. No mm. one. So when you go to the gym, nobody cares. If you've mm-hmm. got a 100-pound dumbbell or a 50-pound dumbbell or 25, no one in that gym cares. No one in your personal life cares. So don't don't put on too many weights. Colin does it twice this episode. Just about crushes his neck. Uh, you, you, you know, a spotter should be for emergency purposes only. You shouldn't need it 100% of the time, Colin. For, for the emergency purposes <laughs> and for the last 10% to get it up. That, that, that's what it should be there. It shouldn't be, if I don't actively constantly monitor, this man may die kind of thing. Come on, Colin. It's Colin, though. The man. If there's any, if, huh, I was gonna say, if any character's hurting for self confidence, but no, he's got competition. But among the team, he's clearly got some confidence issues, and maybe he's trying to show off a little bit. Yeah, nobody cares how much you lift. Uh, Sam, however, inspired and full of confidence himself, immediately goes off the head of this to send a message to Boss Girl, setting a date for that night. Power move. Woo! Yeah. You know what that is? That is um. That's a hell mary. Yeah, it is. It either is going to work or it's going to hit the ground and nothing's going to come of it. But from his perspective, she hasn't responded for like a week. It's the moment for a Hail Mary. Absolutely. It's a good call on Sam's part. Veteran Uh, move, actually. The team watches with utter excitement as it works. And the locker room goes crazy. Three dots. Uh, Everybody goes nuts, except for some second team guys that just look confused as to what the hell is happening in the background. But... Sam then goes off this to ask Isaac for a haircut. The room goes silent. Everybody's stunned. Everyone is on the same page when it comes to this issue, except the audience who has no idea what is happening. And, of course, we also have left with poor Colin with the bruised throat as Isaac focuses on this now. What did you think about the fact that Isaac is a top-rate barber? It's a thing. It... uh, I, we've got no prior lead up to it at all. Isaac's kind of a very vague character. We don't have much of an impression of. So, sure, it's a talent that he has. I love it. I love that. I love the um, the characterization of the the top rate A plus barber because that's like that's a huge thing. It's particularly huge in the African American community, but yeah, it's huge everywhere. That, yeah. If you have like the guy that gives you the cut, oh man, that's like. Uh, you know that that is holy holy territory here, and and that representation of Isaac as that guy really made me chuckle. I enjoy how they run with it too, with complete and abject seriousness. This isn't just a little quirky thing that he does. This is a big deal. This is man is an artist, a god of this field, and everyone values it for its for the quality he offers. We know what he's doing when he retires. <laughs> Absolutely, professional pro- professional beatitian to to celebrities around the world. Oh sure. Uh, in the hospital. Ted learns the absolute wonders that are the National Health Service, because everyone should know how wonderful that idea is. You mean to tell me I can shatter every bone in my body? Somebody drop me off at the hospital in a garbage can or something? Help patch me up and I don't have to pay jack squat? Hell yeah. I love this country. I love this town. <laughs> it's a great program. Uh, and discusses the origins of Winnie the Pooh. Also fun. 
Uh, Doctor. Did you Shadow, know Winnie the Pooh was a real bear in London Zoo? Did you know that was true? I was a huge Winnie the Pooh fan as a kid. A huge Winnie the Pooh fan. Watched all the cartoons. A great time with it. My dad even referred to the, the hundred acre forest behind our woods, behind our house, as the hundred acre woods, and that blew my mind as a child. So yes, I knew about that origin and loved that they worked it in here. So I don't want like I don't want to be offensive here, Spencer. Do you ever little Eeyore? Were you? Me? You Eeyore? Ever, I don't yeah. know what basis you ever have to say about that me. I, I don't think you have any whatsoever <laughs> is, reason to assign that label on me as a person and character. How do you broach that subject with someone? Hey, man, when you were watching Winnie the Pooh, did you? were you the Eeyore? It's almost like talking to a Harry Potter fan and be like, big Hufflepuff guy over here. Which you guys did to me as well. So, yes, this is a repeated, repeated trend. Okay. Dr. Sharon, however, being wheeled in, seems not at all happy to see Ted. I think he even just says, oh, fuck off. Yes, oh, fuck me. Uh, particularly not when Ted immediately goes into his antics of celebrating that, oh my god, it's a miracle she can walk again. <laughs> Ted reveals a lot of knowledge in this conversation about brain injuries from both Grey's Anatomy and being an American football coach. You know, the one with concussions and all the hullabaloo about kneeling and such. Did you ever go through a Grey's Anatomy phase? None at all. Not a bit. I knew a lot of friends that did during that period in the early 30s, but was not including me. Wow, dude, you should you should totally do a little little deep dive into the first four seasons of that. I mean, shout out McVet. I was always a big McVet guy. No, no McSteamy, no McDreamy McVet. No frame of reference at all. I even watched different doctor shows from that period. Like, I watched ER during pick with the early first seasons. Grey's Anatomy never registered for me. Hmm. Uh, it's probably, probably worth a couple weeks of your time at some point. Okay. Oh, Dr. Sharon, as it turns out, has had a concussion and a few stitches, so she will need to rest. But don't worry, your husband can take you home. They Not immediately my do. Not my husband. No, 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 no. no. They, they immediately clarify the situation that there's no husband whatsoever and dismiss the idea of them being anything other than friendly colleagues. As well as defending her right to be fiercely independent and needing no man. Uh, she tries to leave on her own, but the Damn doctor straight. very much and appropriately lays down the law that no, you've had a head trauma. You can't be unattended. This is this guy is here to help you right now. So, question: She says, like, well, she lays this down as if it's like something. Like, what if Doctor Sharon just walked out? Like, I never understand these hospital policies. Like, well, it's policy. It's like, well, okay, well, I'll just leave. They, what are you gonna do? Arrest me? Unless they have you committed, they actually can't stop you. There's nothing they can do. Yeah, but they can be aggressive in saying no, and then when you say but yes, then they kind of shrugged and say, well, you're being dismissed against advice, and you have to sign this form. And she is in the medical field, so that's a bad look. It is, but it's also that moment of where she's in the medical field. She knows that, yeah, this is actually what I should be doing right now. I just had a concussion. I yeah. really shouldn't be alone. I also shouldn't drink later, but we're going to ignore that one. Well, we'll talk about that when it gets there. Uh, she, the, uh, Ted offers that, well, and there ain't no policy like a hospital policy because the hospital policy don't stop, which Woo! I is so ubiquitous now in American culture. I actually had to double check where the hell it originally came from. I did not remember, but it's from Coolio's one, two, three, four from uh, from his Gangsters Paradise in 1995, which I would have lost trivia on that. One, two, three, four. Get okay. your booty on the floor. Gotta gotta right. get up to get down. There ain't no party like a West Coast party. That's the original line. Completely forgot that was where it started because it's been done in every show since then. Gotta gotta get up to get down. Uh, Ted immediately falls into the husband role and offers to help his sweetheart with uh, putting on her putting on her jacket which she seems very uncomfortable with so funny uh and the scene exits to now roy sitting in a tiny child chair which is great 
As he's been called to meet with Phoebe's teacher, with Phoebe, uh, Phoebe's teacher named Mrs. Bowen, which I didn't remember earlier, because uh, his sister has a very busy schedule in the ER, handling various things, and the dad, while living, is also a piece of shit. Piece of shit. Guessing he's completely out of the equation. Uh, the teacher reveals, after he sent Phoebe away to go color, that they've been having a bit of an issue with Phoebe's behavior. In the specific sense, she's been swearing. A lot. Like, Shocker. this is her fifth offense. Mandatory suspension kind of territory. Was that the fifth offense that day? <laughs> I, I honestly can't be sure. I assumed it was the fifth general, but with this kind of, you know, atmosphere that she's been enjoying lately, who can be sure? Apparently she called a classmate an apathetic shitfucker, which, admittedly, if you're going to use your five offenses, man, is that a great one to throw somebody else's way right there. Always cool to see somebody young who picks up cussing pick it up well. You yeah. know, oftentimes with kids, you get like, you're a big pooter fuck. You know, like the terrible cussing that doesn't make any sense. Um, man, she really is like, she's man, she's like a Jedi, man. She's, she's, she's 400 level. Can we agree she's had a great teacher? Absolutely. Yeah, she has learned from the best when it's come to this. But that's a bit of a problem. Because as they discuss, while indeed that classmate was indeed an apathetic shitfucker... It isn't appropriate to refer to somebody like that in a classroom setting in that particular manner. Uh, Roy expresses legitimate confusion as to where she might be getting this from, to which the teacher kind of slowly leads him to the river about, maybe it's you that's slowly contributing. She just points at him, basically. (laughs) It still takes him a minute. He still has to work through the process of it, because he seems legitimately surprised to realize that he could actually be having this level of influence on her. The teacher, though, encouraged them that no, you've got a lot of influence on her. But you can also use that influence positively, and that's kind of what I'm asking you to do right now. He tries on this philosophy with respect to Phoebe's ice cream demand to very Fuck mixed no. results. <laughs> but they're able to work it out. He apologizes, they leave, and the teacher is left to deal with the utter nightmare that is glitter in your life. Fucking glitter. I love that she cusses, too. Uh, of course she is. She's human. Everybody curses. Most everyone. But if there's a time and a place for it, and she's not going to do it in the classroom when there are kids there, and Phoebe shouldn't either. Can we also agree that glitter is one of the most nightmarish inventions that humanity has ever come up with, just in terms of its ability to get everywhere and never leave? Yeah, it's sand, like, cubed. <laughs> Perfectly put. And shines, so you can never be. You can always be sure it's on you. Ted and Dr. Sharon are walking home together with Ted carrying her bite, gentleman that he is, and discussing other horror stories involving Ronnie Rouch, which I'm glad to see that Fouch, glad to see that character return, who apparently added on to his shit and candy wrapper from last season with Vaseline sandwiches. He was also tricking people with eating. Ugh. Although, shout out Stefan Marbury. One time Stefan Marbury was having a mental breakdown and he um, was on webcam uh, before he was signed to a team to play in China and he was mm-hmm. eating Vaseline. So, shout out stuff of Marbury. Uh, yeah. I assume Vaseline is edible, just based it's on its ingredients. I can't imagine. I was going to say, I can't imagine it goes down well, but it's Vaseline. It probably does. Uh, they go through the idea that part of the reason that, well, the reason that Ted was at the hospital for her, which she seems surprised by, is that he got 32 voicemails from her while she was in a concussed state. Which that is, is hilarious. All- it also shows how, like, how much head, how much, like, mental real estate Ted is taking oh, up in he, Dr. Sharon's head. Rent-free. He is occupying that space. Uh, he has saved all of these for his both for both his own amusement and to share now. 
The first that he goes through is the, uh, apparently she pretended to record an answering machine message while calling him, which basically ends with, if you want to talk my ear off with some bullshit because you're too afraid to properly emote, leave a message. Man, is he living in her head right now. He is a challenge to her professional capacity and ability. Uh, she tries to I didn't to mean it. it. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, he rightly cites in Concussio Veritas, I'm going to use that phrase in the future, Pretty cut funny. through that well-meaning crap, and then jumps to the next message, uh, which is apparently a boisterous rendition of Tonight from West Side Story. Written by Mr. Steven Sondheim. Which, I don't know about you, I immediately began a boi- began my own boisterous rendition of that song the moment I heard it referenced, to which I was immediately called out by Bridget that I was actually singing the quintet reprise of the song from later in the play, which is me definitely called out. Uh, Isaac proceeds to, uh, ready to cut Sam's hair to proper matador music, specifically La Virgen, La Virgen de la Macarena by Arturo, Arturo Sandoval. Uh, it's... Ooh. Uh, a dramatic, appropriately dramatic moment of revealing that he's apparently a god at this, and only is to the point. He's so good that he's only willing to give his teammates one haircut a season. That's it. Everybody knows how utter big deal this is. Everyone's excited. Everyone holds it in very special regard to the point that Danny apparently will only be using his, his when he gets married or circumcised. One of those two. I love everyone just kind of baffled by the married, but everyone goes circumcised. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, time to probably have done. Need it. Yeah, makes yeah, sense. absolutely. Uh, Jan Moss, of course, doesn't understand at all, but no one is in a mood to tolerate him at all when it comes to this, and they finally, rightfully, tell him to just shut the fuck up. Something that's been building all season, I'm sure. Isaac begins a wonderful rendition of Down by the Riverside by Mahalia Jackson plays. Ooh, what and a it's song. A, it's a great song. I love that song quite a bit. And it goes through the movements of, like, Swan Lake that he cuts through the hair as he slices past him. It's beautiful. Uh, I'm going to give shout out to Jamie here. Uh, during this back and forth, someone questions Sam, like, are you sure you want to use your Isaac cut on a blind date? And then Jamie, mm-hmm. in the background, speaks mm-hmm. up, what if you only have a textual relationship? <laughs> uh, well said, Jamie. <laughs> Meanwhile, in terms of textual relationships, Jamie gets a text from his dad asking about the Wembley tickets. Jamie sighs, shrugs, leaves the group in their happy moment, and goes off to fix this friggin' situation. Finding Higgins... Higgy Bottoms! ...in a janitor's closet, which appears to be a more permanent location he's finally found. Jamie rightfully describes Higgins' situation as being very, very sad and not at all funny, despite the fact the show seems to keep on expecting us to laugh at it. Uh, Higgins, on the other hand, just kind of shrugs it off the way he always does when people, you know, kind of treat him unfairly. Jamie asks for the tickets for his dad and his friends, and Higgins often split them in the family and VIP section. But Jamie gives not two shits, because he does not view his dad in all that light. He's just trying to get him off his back. He's Higgins, a dick. Every situation, he does exactly what a dick would do. Higgins commiserates over father-son relationships and jokes that they should write songs about them, which Jamie's utterly sarcasm blind to. Cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Wonderful song right there. Uh... He asks Higgins about his dad, who gives a very easy kind of non-answer of, eh, it's complicated. Same way all father-son relationships are. Jamie's answer, as you said, is just simpler. His dad's a dick. And Higgins, as he always does, tries to polish that, polish away that turd by saying, eh, well, you know, I try to love my dad for who he is and forgive him for who he isn't. Which so, is, great advice, just not relevant in this situation. Yeah. It's wonderful advice, which Jamie seems to take to heart. 
it has no application whatsoever to Jamie's dad. Yep. There's nothing about that man that is at all positive from what we've seen of him so far. I've talked and about the fact that the show does not do unredeemable characters. The show has proved me wrong. You found the one. Maybe found two. Found one. We'll, we'll see. Rupert, I still think, is up in the air. We'll I've see got a with Rupert, Rupert rant for later. But Jamie's dad, I don't know how they redeemed this character. It would, it's going to be it's going to be a whiplash kind of U-turn to make that happen. Uh, Higgins label uh, then assigns VIP labels for James Tart, Dim, Dimbo Cullens, I believe, Dimbo and Collins. Bug, Bug, just just Bug, B-U-G. one G, one G, uh, which is his legal name, not because he's small, but because he eats bugs for money. Oh yeah, makes sense. Yeah, mm. that's how yeah. that goes. Mm. England. Uh, Jamie closes the door because everyone agrees that they don't, nobody needs to see this really other than Higgins right now and our scene leaves to what I would describe as being one of our top two or three scenes of the episode right here of Roy and Phoebe eating ice cream in the car so they did get ice cream of course they did Phoebe asked and Roy ultimately is a pushover one of my favorite scenes in the episode great scene right here of where Phoebe moves to leave thanks for the ice cream and Roy comes in with some proper uncle advice you can't swear. I can. I'm a footballer. It's encouraged. But you can't in other jobs, even being a wild animal veterinarian, whatever the hell that is and however you get paid. Never understood how that works. What, do you treat them in the woods and no one pays you? It doesn't matter. Ray goes to to express some concern that he loves, cherishes all the time that they've spent together. But he's never really been trained to deal with kids. And he is, and he's getting choked up as he's even saying this, worried that she's taking after the worst aspects of him. Ooh, uh, what a absolutely brutally honest and vulnerable thing to say out loud. It's, it's a, I adore this moment between the two of these characters. The relationship's one of the, one of the beating hearts of this show. Phoebe puts the kibosh on that real fast and says that she's learned wonderful things from him, including standing up to bullies and referees, one of those more important than the other, and that she can do that totally without swearing because she is as good as the best of him. Oh, God, that line. Even Roy, who's getting choked up, smiles at that line. Well, it's even better because he says, you're better than me, and she stops him and corrects him and says, I'm as good as the best of you. It's a great, great moment between the two. Roy's barely keeping it together throughout all the conversation. And she says, you know, this could be a learning experience for the two of us. We both can stop swearing, which Roy's response to that is... Fuck you. I can't, but you can. Yeah, and... I think we can agree. Roy is a... A, his job does not allow him not to swear. That's just part of how his job works. And B, it's Roy. If he stops swearing, I think he might cease to exist as a person. I love that he tells this, like, seven-year-old, fuck you. It's <laughs> how they work. fuck you to her. <laughs> um, she asks him for just... He, she, you know, moves to leave. He moves to leave. But she asks him if he can just come in for one more game of Princess and the Dragon before he goes. And even though he never gets to be the dragon, including this time, he agrees so long as she fixed the wand this time. Do you notice she does a Roy impression? He oh, says, wait. can I be the dragon this time? And she goes, no. no. <laughs> yeah, she does it perfectly, too. Everyone does a great Roy, but Roy does no, doesn't do anybody else well. No. Uh Two of them leave for their heartfelt moment. I'd love to see the two of them playing Princess and the Dragon in the future. I don't know what it is, but it sounds wonderful. And we go to now Ted and Sharon arriving back in her home. This is an important scene to go through. Uh, it's apparently the fifth time that she's thanked him and invited him to leave, but he's, again, mostly ignored her to be helpful. 
and so goes in to set the bike down. While he's setting the bike down, as anyone does when you're walking into somebody's house for the first time, he does that kind of like casual look around. Let me see what their home is. And the first thing he notices is, what is fair to say, more than a few empty bottles of, hard, of wine and hard liquor and some scattered wine glasses around the house. So the fact that there were empty liquor bottles there is something to take note of. Yes. But the important thing is Sharon's reaction because Sharon yes. sees him, sees him see the liquor bottles, immediately gets tense and immediately goes to get rid of them. And so notice, uh, I think I think this is I don't know if they'll explore it, but uh, I think there's something there. We're going to return to it before this before this episode is done. We're going to see that we're going to see it. We see something related to it again. But it's a, a notable, too, as well, is that she reacts before Ted even notices is that. He, he walks in, he's looking around, and before he even looks at them, she's already staring at them. Like, does he notice? Does he notice? Do I have time to fix this? Does he notice? Of course he does, and then she moves to clean up while yeah, she's talking. Yeah, if you've ever been a heavy drinker, there are times when people surprise you at your house, and yeah. you're doing the the sort of, like, quick... Well, you know, it's it's very similar to, like, being, like, a um, like a messy... Not, I mean, it's not, right? Because it's way more unhealthy, and it, like, could kill you. But similar in behavior, if you are an inherently messy person, you know that thing that people do, like... Hold on, like you, like you get surprised at their house. Hold on just a second, and you do that tornado thing around the house, right. just picking shit up. That's kind of what she wished she could have done. Oh, th- th- this is me. What I like, give me precisely at least thirty-five minutes notice before you arrive. Damage needs to be repaired and things hidden, because you know me. There are socks everywhere. They're just scattered around the place. They're hanging off the rafters. Things need to be picked up. You wait till this COVID thing's over. I'm just gonna surprise you. Show up at your door one day. Hey, can yeah, I see kind of a look around? <laughs> If, if you'd like to be crushed by just a cavalcade of socks coming out of the doorway, sure, please, come with the surprise. We'll see what happens. Uh, she, you know, they discuss briefly the idea of corporate housing and what temporary really means, which Ted just offers that line, but I enjoyed that line about, well, uh, this is temporary. Well, isn't everything? Um, she invites him for tea. Uh, what's Ted's response to her invitation for tea? No, 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 don't, don't care for that garbage, no. I think he even just says hell no at first, and she like flinches back. It's like I'm sorry to have offended you. I don't have any framing on this conversation. Don't don't, don't care for that garbage. No, no, yeah. no. Clarifies it's the tea. It's the problem, not the invitation. So she instead invites him to the two things that she has: water or wine. That's hmm. what she's got. Chicken and the egg, huh? Is that a Jesus joke? I wasn't sure. It is indeed. Yes, <laughs> water and sure. wine, chicken and the egg. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's, it was very quick and very clever, and I liked it. Uh, Ted agrees to the water, uh, preferring it like Kylie Irving. Flat, preferring it the way Kylie Irving prefers his earth. Flat. Funny line. Yeah, a little basketball reference there. Ted doing it for me. Doing the heavy lifting for me this episode. You can count on it. Uh, she pours him a glass and he checks on her books, including The Middle Passage from Misery to Mean in Midlife by James Hollis. Uh, which seems on point that, you know, Ted realizing that she has her own issues that she's working through in her own terms and place in life. And maybe a book that he should pick up for himself. She clearly has some own issues of her own. And I, as I said, I really do like we're gaining that knowledge and perspective as Ted does. Uh, Ted encourages her to get back on the metaphorical horse by buying another bike. And she, again, politely and indirectly asks him to leave rather than continue that conversation. Well, uh, she could uh, start riding a horse to work. We'd call her Dr. Sharon Horsewoman. Thank you, Ted. Leave now. Uh, Ted accepts that he's going to leave now and just... I guess it's because, you know, he got, she gave him this. It'd be rude not to have it. He houses an entire eight ounce glass of water. Have you ever uh, been around people like that? 
who just that, don't who don't sip water who chug water uh, i'm one of those people yes still so i give you like a bottle of water you'll just hold on to it until you decide to just drink the whole thing pretty much yeah I, I, the, yeah. the, the sipping will be for the sake of polite participation and conversation. The actual appreciation of the water will just be to consume it as fast as possible. Yeah, there's definitely people like that out there. It just house the whole thing. Uh, Ted encourages her to call him if she needs anything at all or just even wants to talk. But she very professionally, and I say professionally in the sense that she frames it as a professional reason why she's brushing him off, says, I don't need your help. Go away, please. She says, my job is to teach people to overcome exactly what happened to me. I'm fine. Thank you. Um... I'm going to call mm. bullshit here. That is mm. not that is not how that works, Dr. Sharon. Absolutely and you know not. that's not how it works because we started this episode with you calling your psychiatrist. So you know you can't treat yourself. It, it's obvious bullshit, but it is designed to get Ted to leave because she yeah, doesn't want to talk about there. it right now. Uh, outside, Le, how would you pronounce this French restaurant? Le Touche? Like, Touche? Like Stanley Tucci? I'm not sure here. Touche? Sure, maybe. Uh, which is the Sam that restaurant the, the, the Sam that restaurant set the restaurant that Sam set for their blind date. Beck is waiting in the car, uh, and Keeley calls to encourage her, looking in perfect uh, late night I'm alone face. That Keeley makes me laugh. She called just to see if she would pick up, and when she picked up, she <laughs> why blessed her out for picking up. Like that is Keeley is such a great friend. She literally was doing some like controlled testing there of what? Rebecca. And she knows Rebecca so well, she frames it perfectly. So there's only two options for how this plays out. You either have a great night, or you don't, and you can lord that over on me for the rest of our friendship. She's selling it perfectly. She knows her audience right here. Uh, she also reminds Rebecca that she looks so fucking beautiful, which I agree, and that Keely can't even bear it. And motivated, Rebecca heads on in. Looking great in that dress, by the way. Uh, Ooh, Sam also is. is Sam is also looking pretty put together himself. Honestly, nice looks like cut. he has. It's a nice cut. Every references. Honestly, it looks like he has more hair than he did in the prior scene. That's just how the haircut can work sometimes. It's got a fade, man. Mean fade. Mean fade. Uh, they laugh the coincidence the two of them are there just to see respective <laughs> blind dates. Oh, <laughs> isn't that a? Oh, 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 yes. what a coincidence! And after a minute of waiting around, they realize by means of a banter message that they are waiting for each other. Wait a second before we get to this crap. Um. Mm. There is a scene, you know, I love these scenes. She pulls up her iPhone and texts Keely. Oh my God, you know, he's here. That How awkward. And in pulling it up, we get to see the text conversation that she'd been having with Keely previously. Do you want to know what notice. it said? What was it, please? Keely, OMG, I know, so good. Rebecca, I can't believe you've only just discovered it. Keely, you changed my whole world. Heart. So I don't know. I guess maybe a TV recommendation, uh, something. <laughs> I don't know. Something break in the conversation, new conversation. Keely, babes, what are you going to wear tonight? Something hot but sophisticated? <laughs> Rebecca, um, maybe my LBD. I think a little black dress, maybe? She didn't go with that, but I think that's almost certainly what she's referencing. Yes. Keely, you're amazing. So what we get from that is like key like the Keely's text. No, her exclamation point per word text ratio is very high. high. Very high. It's like about very one to dude. one. <laughs> Let's get into it, man. Neither of us want to talk about this, but this scene is now now starting to happen. Okay, it has yeah, come I, out. I'm gonna I'm gonna you you just do the recap and then we'll do talk. the recap. Okay. It's come out in the open. 
The two of them are the respective banter partners. Sam finds it amusing and starts laughing. Rebecca is pissed. She's legitimately pissed from her initial tenor to this. She starts cursing. She focuses on all the logical reasons why obviously this is a horrible idea. That she's his boss. His boss. Sam tries to shrug it off. And he's young. He's like you're like 24. I think the actor's actually 24. And he says, I'm 21. Which uh, she, I looked her up, is for, uh, the actress is 47, which I think is probably about 20, roughly accurate. 21. 21. He is yes. 21 years old. Which means if they indeed are assigning the same actress as the same age for the actress as the character, which they seem to roughly keep to those, it's a 26 year difference between them. It's which is colossal. more than the years that he has lived. More than the years that he's lived, and I would almost guarantee to you more than the years difference between her and Rupert in terms of that age gap on that end, too. Which is interesting. Uh, she refers to herself as a pedophile groomer, which he immediately tries to dismiss, and promptly moves to leave, saying that, you know, this can't happen. This never did happen. We're on the same page. This never happened, right? And it starts to go out the door. She trips on a stool, which gives Sam enough time to invite her to instead, let's just have a friendly dinner. You know, people have friendly dinners when they've been having romantic conversations for several weeks beforehand, right? That's how that goes. Uh, which, against her better judgment, she agrees to because they're hungry. Then and we then get they... the Loving is Easy by Rex Orange County montage, and it, we're off to the races. It's You talked about previously that you didn't expect these two actors would have much chemistry. In this moment, I thought, okay, they're doing a little, you know, montage scene of just various little snippets to just cover up that, potentially. Yes, they have zero it, chemistry. The Amelia Clark Kit Harrington situation. It's a lazy way of doing, particularly their first date. This is supposed to be a very important moment for both us as an audience to get, you know, invested and appreciate this, but they just kind of yada yada it, which is an interesting call on their part. A good song, though. I do Loving is Easy by Rick's Orange Country. Rick's Orange Country. Uh, is it country or county? I wrote, wrote county, yeah, yeah, it's county. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, profound sigh at that scene. We'll return to it here in a minute. Uh, meanwhile, thank God, we got to another scene of where it's Dr. Sharon at home, alone, in the dark, watching Lust Conquers All. With, if you look at her little end table, several glasses, of, several empty glasses of presumably alcohol next to her. I think it's one mixed drink and two wine glasses are right there that were not there in the previous scene that we saw of her. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people think problem drinking um, presents itself as I'm at a bar, I'm wasted, I fought a bouncer. Usually it's just alone, dark, watching a television show. So it's yes. a pretty good, I don't know if they're going for it. I don't know if they're going to go all the way with this or not, but it they are kind of pulling that rope a little because that is kind of what it looks like for most people. So, uh, you know, very interesting there. She's also a medical professional. She should know damn well better than anybody. You don't drink on a concussion. That's a big no-no. You should not do that. And yet, there she is. Seems like she probably that's probably just what she does every night. Probably, yeah. And nothing's going to disturb that routine. She gets a call from Ted, disturbing her routine. Uh, he's at a pub, planning on checking on her every 20 minutes as a concussion protocol. And, to keep it fresh, he's going to change his voice every time. Which, Jason Stakis is great at voices. These voices are hilarious to me. Have uh, he does feeling dizzy or nauseous? Was that Kermit? I think that was a Kermit that he was doing. He was trying Kermit, yeah. It was a pretty good Kermit, if that's what pretty, he's going for. Pretty good Kermit, I think. Uh, Got a laugh out of her. Makes her laugh. Uh, she again tells him it's fine, to which he done does Billy Bob Thornton and Sling Blade. Deep call reference for that one, but it's still a great impression, even better than the Kermit. Which again makes her chuckle. Likes mustard. And 
having opened up a little bit, showing a bit of vulnerability this whole day, and particularly even now, she then reveals that she was worried today, that she was scared, that riding her bike was her happy place, and she was very much afraid that she would not be able to enjoy riding again with that kind of fear now built into the experience. He got nice guy that he is immediately moves to reassure offer advice the same way i'll say the fear is a lot like underwear no 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 no. i'm not here for advice right now i'm not here for you know well-meaning pick-me-ups i just wanted you to know and that's that and i'm glad i told you that is another example of the show showing us dr sharon showing ted how it's supposed to work yes see a lot of people think you go a lot of people think you go to a therapist and you say okay I'm resentful against my brother because my dad always loved him more than me. And the therapist will go, okay, well, when you get home, follow these five steps and you'll never have that resentment again. Not how it works. You actually, by saying things, by getting it out in the open, oftentimes that does the healing for you. So you often don't get a lot of uh, advice or back and forth with your therapist. And that is, I think, what she shows Ted because... Ted, I think, makes a mental note of what she does, and he does it multiple times throughout the episode. He copies the yeah. behavior. It's like Catholic confessional. It's The Hail Marys the priest assigns you at the end, they're the cover for you feeling the need to unburden your soul. That's what the opportunity is here right now. Absolutely. Great, uh, great analogy. She wishes him luck on the game that's coming up, and he goes back to pinball, determined that he's going to beat the new high score in this thing. Sam walks Rebecca home. We're not done with this yet. Uh, they discuss uh, women's women's purses and their various permutations. Uh, whether isn't you know, that deep, cute? Deep purses or clutches are a better idea. Rebecca denies that it's a date, but Sam is still full of confidence from this morning and moves in close. And asks her, "Are she sure that they can't do this again?" She says no, and then leans in and kisses him. Uh, they agree though that this. When she says never again, she means it. She has to mean it. And she does. But she closes the door. And as we see them both on each side of the doorway, because she has that kind of glass window in the door, we can see that they are very conflicted about the way things are going and where the thing, where the, where things can go. Perhaps in reference to Roy's line from a few episodes back, a bit of lightning has struck, as it were. You want to do it now? I'm going to do it after the next scene. Let's do it at the end. Let's do okay. it at the end. All right. We'll, we'll hold it. We'll hold it. Let's just build up the tension. Um, Ted and the team arrive at Wembley Stadium, and it is an epic Game scene. day! Game day! Epic music, epic orchestral music is playing. Wembley Stadium, which I've not actually seen before, is a gorgeous, massive thing man, of a stadium. Man, isn't that cool? That is, that's the real Wembley Stadium they were into, man. That thing is awesome. It's beautiful. Fundamentally so, beautiful. Huge stadium, right? Oh, yeah. Massive. Got me More thinking. Massive. Yeah. Got me thinking, because I've always thought of the United Kingdom as just a little island. Um, With millions of people, but yes, go on. So that got me thinking. I was looking at it. This is how dumb I am. I was like, man, do they really have enough people to fill up that stadium? <laughs> they got like 50 million people in the UK, don't they? 68. I looked it yeah. up. 68 million people in the United Kingdom. You know how many people are in California? 35, something like 40 that? 40 million. You're very close on both of these. 68 to 40 million. Uh, California is roughly like... 15 times the landmass or something, something crazy like that. A lot more of the landmass. Um, so they're pretty concentrated there in the UK. But if you're stupid like me and you questioned if they have enough people to fill up Wembley Stadium, the answer is an unequivocal yes. 
So for those, this, this feels like a moment of when people just aren't, aren't updating their statistics. Lee last looked at a book at the population of the UK back in the year 1600, and he hasn't checked since. You know, you just got to continue to update your stats. World Almanac each year. It's important. A bunch of sheep farmers over there, right? How can they all fill in Wembley? I, I feel like you just landed briefly in the highlands of Scotland and looked around and said, this is all of the UK. I understand now. <laughs> it is a beautiful stadium, though. Absolutely. Uh, Ted delivers a team speech where the sentiment really is, this is just another stadium and this is just another game and it's our day to make history. Nope. Fundamentally reveals that this man really, really, really needs to start learning how this game works. It is pretty spectacular to me that he still did, he didn't know that. I mean, that is, he really doesn't understand the basics of this thing and he is going on year two. This man's played in away games. He should know the stadiums are all the same size. This shouldn't be that much of a surprise to him, but it is. Biggest fa- stadium uh, in the country. Yeah, 500 square yards bigger. That's substantial in terms of difference Huge. in size. Uh, which, according to Beard, makes a decisive advantage in favor of Man City. So they really should have known about this. Yeah, better Apparently, passers. Ab- makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, Ted also reveals he doesn't realize this isn't the original Wembley Stadium from back during Live Aid. But I think that's fair that he doesn't know that one necessarily. I'm not going to hold that one as much against him. I didn't know that either, to be honest. Uh, Shout out but, Freddie Mercury, though. Uh, if you've never, if, peop, if our fans have never watched the Live Aid footage of Freddie Mercury and Queen just kicking ass at that concert, please do. It's incredible. It's usually yeah, ranks one of the best first. concerts ever. Watch that first, and then watch the Queen biopic. You know, oftentimes these biopics aren't particularly good. You know, they're just sort of like a um, nostalgia for people who already like whatever the figure is. Queen, the Queen one, I feel like is different. I feel like if you watch that, it will actually mm. tell a genuine uplifting and very interesting story about Freddie Mercury. Um, apropos of nothing, but I highly recommend the Queen Biotech. Quite good. Uh, Ted's speech is able to end despite some minor roadblocks where it needs to. <laughs> it's one of his weaker ones, to be honest. He gets the sentiment across and it's still an important sentiment to give the team going into this. Uh, Jamie gives a triumphal shout of Richmond and we cut to the match itself. Shows where and his loyalties are. Just shouting out Richmond. I like that, Jamie. We get to see the stands like two or three times in this uh, scene of the game. What percentage would you say are Man City versus Richmond fans in the stands during this game? Um, 92 to 8. It feels like that. It's just a sea of blue and white with not a bit of red scattered anywhere. Blue moon, you saw me standing alone. Did you know that that was their anthem? I did not, but it is indeed an anthem and synonymous with the club. Even the symbol of the blue moon is synonymous with the club. I so. didn't know why the hell. I, I had no idea why they were singing that song. And then I searched blue moon and the, the first video that first came entry. was Man City Anthem. Yeah. They have taken that song as theirs now. Really cool. Uh, Jamie and his dad's uh, friends show up. Uh, Jamie's uh. dad's fr- dad and his friends show up in friggin' Man City gear. He's wearing Jamie's Man City kit. What the fuck? He is the worst. He even says to everybody around him that, yeah, my son's playing in the game for the wrong team. Ma ha 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 ha. Asshole. The fan trio and May are back in the bar discussing getting Richmond tattoos. May's already got one. Kudos to her. Mind Uh, your fucking business. Absolutely. And the Richmond coaching staff are working out final bits of strategy, which based on what little we hear, they kind of know how much of an underdog they are going into this game. Ted, on the other hand, is practicing his breathing exercises, which he reveals, you know, he talked to Dr. Sharon, you know, she's been encouraging him to do these things. Nate makes a reference to Ted having stomach problems again, and I really couldn't tell for sure if he was being sarcastic or not when he said that. 
I guess he may have just been no, legitimately. No, I thought he was being genuine, yeah. Fine enough. Couldn't be sure when it comes to Nate lately. Uh, Higgins arrives to tell them that it's time. But before they leave, they all have very much a kind of bonding confession session. Starting with Ted, largely, I think, by everybody else to make Ted feel better about going first and revealing what's, what he's going through. As, we re- as they all learn together now that Ted has been having panic attacks of late and he's working on it, but he wanted them all to know the truth, including back during that game in question. Higgins takes this opportunity to reveal that he messed up on, a time zo- on, on the time zones with respect to a transfer deadline and so missed signing an amazing fullback from Brazil, which Nate does not look particularly happy about. This is the worst one of any of them. Oh, Higgy Bottoms is the is the absolute worst one, and he sneaks it in like a pro. But my God, that is a fireable offense. That's that's a big professional issue that everyone just kind of goes, okay, yeah, that, that that that's okay. Thank you for telling us. The nature Nate, of this conversation prevents us from really reacting the way we should. <laughs> Nate struggles to keep that one in, though. Uh, Higgins very much feels like he's unburdened his soul. Roy doesn't read the scouting reports. Is anyone surprised about that? They seem less caught off guard, but is anyone surprised that Roy doesn't read the scouting reports and has been lying every time because they bore him and he won't do it? Uh, I don't think anybody's surprised. The the God, the writing is good, right? Because I'm not surprised that he doesn't read the scouting reports. So when he says, I, I don't read the scouting reports, right? That's fine. Funny. Yeah. Whatever. I've been but lying every he, time. But then he ends it with, they're boring and I won't do it. That's the part that, let, that, that got That's me. funny. That was I funny. Yeah. I do laughed. It. <laughs> line in the sand moment, not going past this. Uh, Nate does a very half-hearted kind of line about he pretends to get good ideas in the moment. In reality, he's thought about the good ideas previously for months and just pretends that they're spontaneous. I don't think that that's is, half-hearted. I think park the bus was not spontaneous. I think that's what he was saying. Well, but it's it's not the same at all the same level of confession as anybody else. It's a cloaked brag, is really what it is. It's like, I've got brilliant ideas. I just kind of pretend that they're that I come up with them in the moment. It yeah, doesn't seem like enough, he's offering it is a little bit of a humble else. brag. Yeah, you're right about that. Yep, it's a good call. Beard was high on mushrooms during uh, during a particular game this season, which, as you noted, Beard knows uh, Roy knows immediately what game it was. The Portville match. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. And like I like when he says yes. Roy looks at him and goes yes. 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 As if there were like a few moments between the two of them where he was like, what the fuck is wrong with Beard? Apparently he was at Jane's place and he drank tea from the wrong pot because she's just got, you know. She's a nut, man. She's just got mushroom tea hanging out in her place on in the, the morning. Stove. Yeah. Hey, people get start their day in different ways. Apparently that's one option I didn't really even ponder. Uh, they, Ted legitimately seems to thank them. They all took the opportunity to make him feel better about revealing his very much what he viewed as a dark secret. Good friends that they are, maybe. Uh, and they exit on a mutual hands-in of butts. Wait a second. I think we should do this, right? Because th- that was the that was the scene, right? All hands-in. We, we admit something. Uh, you first, please. Yeah, I think we ought to do it as a podcast, I think. So, all right, I'll, I'll go first, um, just like our, our guy Ted here. Um, so, sometimes... Um, I look up the Sports Center top ten while you're doing the recap. What? That's right. That's my I I do. Sometimes I don't have it done by the time we start the pod, and uh, you'll hear me click clacking in the background. I'm uh, I'm doing I'm doing the Sports Center top ten as you go. Well, you know I really appreciate you telling us that. Moving on, uh, they Damn, discussed the God. idea that <laughs> Beard has been drinking tea without telling Ted because he's been embarrassed to tell him the entire time. He's adjusting, disloyal American that he is. And I'm left with the scene with an important question to ponder. 
do you think that Nate is going to use what he learned here as ammunition as part of some self-aggrandizing scheme? I, um, yeah, I mean, so I've been watching Harry Potter recently, right? Yeah, sure. Okay. And, um, and, uh, there's a, there, you know, everything sort of gets revealed at the end, but as you're watching it, Snape kills Dumbledore. Just, sorry that, you know, there you go. Um, and, uh, uh, when that happens, Harry dies, right? And then also when that happens, um, you have, uh, Ron who dies, right? And um, when that ha- no, I'm fucking around. I, you haven't watched Harry Potter, so um, I I'm trying to think. Where did the good... fuckery start? I need to know where the fuckery started. No, I, I, I'm just all bullshit. Yeah, it's, but I I can't remember exactly. I'm trying to think of a good metaphor here. So for those who don't know, Perry, uh, Spencer's doing a, a chapter by chapter reread of Harry Potter. So I was just kind of fucking with him. For, the, for those that um, also don't know, I suffered a serious pain in my neck as I had to crick it around to Lee to like, are you actually spoiling things for me right now, you bastard? Yeah, pretty funny stuff. So, but no, I'm trying to think of a good... So what I'm trying to think of is when a character does something bad with like, I don't know, maybe there's a Star Wars reference here, but Nate has flipped to the dark side so bad that now I, I don't know, man. I just think he'll do anything. Like, I, I have no... There's no guardrails on that Nate character anymore. He's been such a dick. When he did that thing to Will... At the end, um, I, I now I don't know with him anymore. So it's a very good question. I, I don't know. I'm worried that, he, well, the way I kind of expect it might play out, because Nate has now got the idea in his head that he can be a head coach himself, that he doesn't need anybody's help or whatever else. I'm inclined to think that either there's going to be some, feel, some some feeling like he's under threat and that everybody's conspiring against him, and so he moves to ambush them first, or just feels that he's too big for the team and so throws all this out there. But I think he goes to Trent Krim with all this information, and Trent, professional journalist that he is, goes to Ted before he publishes it. And gets a comment from Ted before he releases it. And then we get the confrontation moment as a result of that. Yeah, that's uh, fair. I'll, I'll be curious to see if that plays out, because I, I don't know, like you, I don't know what to expect out of Nate anymore. It's a dark path that he's walking, and I don't know what the exit is. Yep, yep. That's why it's a good question. We don't, we don't know the guardrails of that character anymore. Just like when, just like when Harry died in the fourth book. If this actually happens, you and I are going to have words, sir. We're going to talk. There's going to be a conversation. It might be recorded, or maybe it'll be be on police tape. I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, Voldemort kills all the Muggles. I don't know to know whether you're shitting me or not. (laughs) (laughs) The stands are dominated by Man City fans, like we said. The game is on. Blue. The announcers say that Richmond has never won a major trophy and is actually the last London club to make a Wembley debut. Damn. And they're playing against the undisputed greatest team in the land. It's been 11 months since Man City relegated Richmond. I love when they tell us how long it's been. I appreciate that for the timeline. And the game begins. If you had to summarize the performance of Richmond in this game in a word, what word would you would you use? Um, Lackluster. I was going to say disastrous, but sure. Yeah. Any of those words apply. It's well, I wouldn't say bad. disastrous only because they were, they were massive underdogs. Right. But yeah, it's pretty lackluster. You'd, you'd hope they would, they'd make it close. Um, but it looks like they got, they got behind early and it could sort of sap their spirit. There's lackluster. And then there's Germany versus Brazil kind of moments. This is one of those. It's very, very bad. They get utterly abused. They look like they're barely even playing during the snippets we get. It's, 
an unpleasant scene for all involved. The few Richmond fans are leaving the stadium and leaving the bar. Everyone's crushed. To add to that pain, our immediate scene afterwards is in the locker room, where everybody's trying to pick up the pieces, they're going to have to start fresh, they're going to work on this. It does not in any way hurt their chances necessarily of getting of getting back up to the Premier League. It's a very much separate tournament that happens. They can come out of this, even if it breaks their steam entirely. Although going back, Nate did have a pretty sick burn on the ref. He said, hey ref, take this shit out of your eyes, you dickless wonder. Um, and then um, Ted had to clean it up. Hey, sorry, Mike. We, we know we, we all got to do it. It's great. It's another interesting moment there, too, of where uh, Beard's clearly unhappy and is clearly expressing that he's unhappy. And Ted comes over to try to reassure him and says, you know, it, it is what it is, man. It's, it is what it is. Beard we- wheels on Ted and just says, yeah, it is what it is. And just kind of stalks off. Even so angry, he flips over the barrier as he goes. There's a certain measure of tension to them and their different coaching philosophies and their ability to tolerate this kind of thing. I think Beard's having trouble. I think we're, we're see- yeah. you know, this is the kind of the theme Definitely. of the episode, right? Is everybody's dealing with some things. And uh, Beard, as much as he is a side character, and oftentimes he's there just for the ha-has and giggles, I think he's dealing with some stuff. I suspect he's going to be a very major character next episode from where he ends and what I'm seeing about the uh, little tidbits from the next episode. We'll oh, did you, did you see the title of the next episode? Uh-huh. Yeah, it was like something well, like Beard's Nightlife or something. We'll get there, but yes, very much. Uh, to add just to the pain and experience and just put a capstone on this shit sandwich, uh, Jamie's dad gets in the locker room, which, Jamie, you put him on silent earlier, that would have been the exact thing to do here, because there's nothing good the man's going to say to you. I mean, this man physically and emotionally abused you when you won a game last season. What the hell is he going to do now? This is an unbelievable scene. It's it's so it's, cringy and hard to watch, and then ultimately makes you makes you makes you tear up. It does because he comes in there as a full on hundred percent Man City fan, taunting the rival team after their loss. That's what he's bringing to bear when it comes to this conversation. He's mocking the team. He's mocking the fans. He's mocking his son's play. The rest of the team's just looking awkwardly while Jamie's just dying in his own skin, and. Having done all this, he then uses this to set up asking Jamie for a favor and getting his friends out onto the pitch, even though it's totally not allowed. Getting them past security to do so. Jamie refuses, and his father keeps pushing like he didn't hear him right kind of thing. Getting really up in his face and grill, ear to his mouth kind of thing. And Jim just keeps pushing, and he keeps insulting, and even finally shoving his son and calling him a pussy, until finally, years of this is enough, Jamie... Lays him the hell out. Solid punch. Pops him. Knocks him to the ground. Uh, Dad gets right back up though and looks like he's about to charge and attack his son in front of everybody. But Beard is there. Beard is on him. Beard grabs him proper proper style and tosses him out the door with a good watch the door as he does. Into the door. (laughs) Without much hesitation though as the team looks utterly shocked. Roy knows what needs to be done, and goes over, across the room without a word, and gives Jamie the hug he most desperately needs and lets him give a good, honest cry on his shoulder. Which is a hell of a tear moment for the audience, too, to see this play out. Uh, The fact, I mean, man, Roy is a really heartwarming character in a lot of moments. We already had one of those earlier where he's talking to Phoebe and he says, you know, basically I'm worried that I'm the best, I'm giving you the worst part of me. The fact that that room stops, braces, everyone is tense watching Jamie. Jamie is in this massively vulnerable moment. And Roy, without hesitation, charges over to give him a hug. I'm not, 
I'm not sure why Roy felt like it was his responsibility in that moment, but I think there's a lesson there that like it doesn't you know it doesn't always have to necessarily be the like perfect obvious obvious yeah. to to you to do the right thing. Like if you have the opportunity, then do it. And basically, what Roy was doing is he saw. Jamie needed help and he had a, had the ability to go over and provide it. And he did. And I'll be very interested to see where it carries these two characters, because I, I think that the, I don't think that's a brush it off. Forget that happened moment. I think that these two characters will be a lot closer afterwards, especially from the Jamie side of things. I agree. I mean, it's very much everyone seems to be suffering from like a case of bystander syndrome where everyone's just kind of too shocked and waiting for somebody else to move. And Roy's never one to tolerate that. He's the one that's going to do the thing when the thing needs to be done. And he does. I was almost expecting it to be Ted, but Ted's dealing with too many of his own demons having watching this to really go in to help somebody else, sadly. And in fact, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And in fact, as this happens, he walks off clearly in a very emotional state. He walks outside. Uh, and notably, while uh, just a reference to a good song, while Jamie's getting the hug he so much needs, uh, Beware of Darkness by George Harrison is playing. Great song, too. Uh, Did you know he died? It has come up, yes, don't tell Ted's son. Important. Or Jamie's, it turns out. He'll go on reality shows. Uh, Ted calls Dr. Sharon, uh, who is still very much watching TV in the dark, because that's what she does, uh, and tearfully reveals what you and I have been speculating on all season, that his father killed himself when Ted was 16, and he refers to it as, that happened to me and my mom, which is a Mm. great way to put it. Great way to put it. Yes. Um, he exponders whether this is maybe where some of his issues stem from, uh, to which Dr. Sharon just speeds that along and says, that is definitely where some of your issues come from. Yes, sir. Uh, he doesn't want to talk about it now. It's a better offer. Uh, that he needs to get back with the team, which is sad. Uh, but he just wanted her to know, which as you referenced, is very much a callback to her own language from earlier and her own opening that door that he could feel comfortable to do this. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's Ted, you know, taking that lesson, Dr. Sharon, showing by doing. It's what her psychiatrist told her to do to help Ted open up. You have to meet him halfway. You have to do some of these things absolutely. that you're asking him to do. Um, you know, you did just frame that in a very casual way as if we had speculated. We, we had speculated. You and I. That Ted's a- dad. A- alone among the world. It wasn't me calling it out like, eight episodes ago i'm gonna put my arms up in victory here not be i mean obviously it sucks his dad killed himself but i did call this i'm not sure in any show we've ever done i've called something so far in advance it, you did um, you i did. called this a long time ago um now i've gotten a lot a lot wrong on this show a lot but this you one put, i got right a long time ago you were offering some ponderings off camera about this in season one that's how far ahead of this you were yep um which i mean you know i'm not like like there were signs that something weird had happened in Ted's personal life. And then they did make the point of like him saying, yeah, my dad died when I was 16. It's an awkward time for a father to die. Like, you know, unless you're like Rupert and having a kid when you're 72 or something, but like, you know, it, 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 it was there for us, but uh, certainly did call it out. And, you know, I talk every week about the gifs that I send Spencer uh, because I watched the episode before Spencer does. And I don't As always. want to spoil anything. Um, Unlike how I spoiled that, you know, uh, d- d- Voldemort kills all the muggles in Harry Potter. I don't Shut the want fuck to, up. I don't want to spoil anything for him. So I just sent him gifs. And this week it was Stanley, Stanley Hudson, our boy from the office, giving a big eye roll. 
Mm-hmm. You could, you can guess can, what fucking yes. plot line gave me that one. Um, there's um, Andy Sanborn from uh, Brooklyn Nine uh, Nine saying, "All right, I'm gonna go cry," and this is very obviously the Roy hug for Jamie. And then Chandler Bing storming into a room saying, "I knew it," which was me with Ted's father. I, un- I understand so, now. I understand. That was how I poetically tried to explain the episode, Spencer. Uh. Uh, Dr. Sharon says that he should call her if he needs her. Ted agrees. Uh, and then Beard comes to check on Ted, because of course he does, good friends. But it's yep. sad to see that Ted has to hide what he's feeling, even from Beard. Or feels the need he has to hide what he's feeling in Beard. He covers up his tears, he wipes it off, puts on a game face again. He only wants to see game faces. Um, game face, baby. I do think that's a good call, though. I'm not quite sure. He may he may disclose some of these issues to Beard. I'm not quite sure that was the right moment for it. So I'm with Ted on that one. It wasn't the right moment for Ted. I just hope they're able to have that conversation at some point, given how good of friends they are. Because Beard would listen and Beard would be there for him, even if Ted doesn't isn't comfortable doing it. Uh, Beard says that he really needs to shake this off. Doesn't really say what this is, and I think he means more than just the game. Um, and invites Ted to go out with him for whatever that is particularly going to be. Ted takes a rain check, needs to talk to his son, and his beard walks off, stalks off by his posture. Ted seems to express some concern about what Beard plans to do and what he suspects Beard's going to going to do. He expresses several times, hey, you know, we got a morning meeting, right? You're going to be there for it. Right? It's your turn. Just be careful, man. You know, hey, you know, be good. Beard even leaves flipping Ted the bird, which I think is both a mix between actual frustration and playfulness, the way they work. Who can be sure? Don't you think that there was a little hint of beard has gotten into sideways situations before in the past because ted was a little bit too into the hey man uh are you sure you're good okay i need you in the morning so please don't go on a three-day bender we've seen this in prior episodes that beard when beard goes on a bender or just disappears for a day it gets rough we've we've seen evidence of that previously and everyone just kind of laughs it off but ted seems concerned about his friend about what he knows his friend's probably going to go do do you think it's uh, really just the the five O loss that's that be? I mean, because it God why, no, yeah. Why why would that upset him so bad? I mean, they weren't supposed to win this, as you pointed out before. This doesn't affect where they are in the Champions League or their chance for um, uh, upward movement. What it was? What's the opposite of relegation? I don't know. Whatever that word is, promotion moving up, promotion. Promot- there you go. Move. Yeah, that's pretty simple. What I can't believe I didn't come up with that. Yeah, moving up. It's it's weird that um, this would be the thing that would set him off. So I'm wondering if Beard's dealing with something else too. Yet again, another another um, going back to the, the the main theme of this episode. Everyone is going I mean, through we, something. We've seen relationship issues. Maybe it could be that we've seen. I we've expressed some concerns that he's probably not necessarily satisfied with the philosophy the team is doing, given how much he expressed previously his dissatisfaction with not really caring about winning. So there could be a few things that are at play here. If he is indeed the focus of the next episode, I will really appreciate it. Because I find Beard one of the more interesting characters that's been continually out of focus over the course of the series. Yeah, he's been he's been involved in multiple shows within a show that I've wanted to see. Yeah, absolutely. You basically wanted a sideshow of Beard after every episode. And maybe we'll finally get it in the maybe main episode it, now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Don't Look Back in Anger by Oasis is now playing. What a song. Hey, be, um, so Ted has a... A reference here where beard comes out and greets him and ted says that was a rough night huh what do you say we make like schreiber and leave huh did uh, you catch that one yeah leave schreiber the actor schreiber and leave i think i think he was just making a reference to the guy's name just switched around 
Oh, and leave L E A V E. Okay, all right. Yeah, I man, I'm I'm thick this episode. I didn't know what that was because I was thinking of Schreiber and Leave. I was trying to look up to see if they were like brothers or something. Okay, Schreiber no. and L E A V E. Got it. Thank you, Ted. Understood. Uh, he uh, while this wonderful song by Oasis is playing, we're back at Rebecca's house in her absolutely incredible kitchen. I like great kitchens, and hers is just wonderful. It is a uh, kitchen, big old island. She sees Sam on TV talking about belief and hope and risking them for, you know, putting your heart out there the way you always must, as he always does in every speech we ever see Sam do. Yeah, uh, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty uh, wise for a 21-year-old, I'd say. Indeed he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she texts him to invite him over. She, he, full of brass he is on this episode, sends her his address. Woo! She, she smiles. She clearly is going out to go see him at that address. But as said, brass that this man is, this episode, he's already out front. And confident as hell just says that he gave her his house, he gave her his address so that they could be ready for it next time. They kiss. They go in. And the episode ends to the tune of Somewhere Only We Know by King. Okay. You want to do it yep. now? Uh, do we, we want to do it on a train wreck of the episode? Or you want to do it? I think it's the, it's the time for it, right? Yeah. Okay. That ends the recap. Thank you, Spencer, for doing the recap, barreling through. Uh, even though I was uh, I was I was missing some things this week, so I appreciate you you standing up, doing the recap, banging out the notes every single week. We move now to our next segment, which is train wreck of the episode. Uh, I've got a yep. nominee. You got, you got a nominee or two, sir? I, I can't even hazard a guess what you're going for here. Yeah, I'll give a nominee, which is this entire fucking plot line. Um, <laughs> Shoot! Okay, no shooting with a shotgun. Give me something more specific. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, um, the choice... So, a couple episodes ago, they did the rom-com episode. They told us, breaking the fourth wall. Trust us. We got this. We're going to do this right. I told you... Um, buckle in, Spencer. We're good. The show has got this. I now no longer have that faith. They clearly are going the route of Sam getting with Rebecca. I am going to say that train wreck of the episode is Rebecca. Rebecca. Okay. Talk, talk it out. Explain it to me. Uh, well, I mean, she should, she should a know better. Um, B, I don't believe that she would actually want to be in a relationship with this guy. Nothing that we've seen from this character suggests that that is something she'd be interested in. Um, and I, I just don't like, it's not that I'm upset about it. Like I'm, I, I'm, I'm fine with whoever Rebecca wants to end up with. I mean, I made, made jokes on the show before about her and Ted, but like, I'm, I, I'm not like, Oh man, I wish they didn't do this in a sort of like, I'm emotionally invested in the show. Got me type of way. That's actually good when a show does that to you. Sure. This is a, Blech. I can't believe they did that. Who who was napping in the writer room to allow this plot line to move forward? I don't find it A, realistic that Rebecca would engage in this, B, particularly interesting, and C, potentially, not potentially, pretty darn problematic, which I can get into here in a moment. But that right now, the segment is just train wreck the episode. Spencer, what do you think? I mean, I, I'm fine with discussing the problematic now unless you want to discuss it later. Because there, yeah, there's, there's a mess of things here that, this is the point of where I'm just not certain about it. Where I don't know if it's dumb for the show and the writers or dumb for the characters. And I can't know that yet until I know where they ultimately go with it. Because this can be part of a journey for Rebecca. Dealing with you know, the loss of Rupert. Getting into her own similar rela- mirror relationship here. Um, fighting for what she wants to do or what she wants out of life. And dealing with the fact that she's now single and middle age. 
any of that could be something that they can play with this if they're not doing it of their soulmates and lightning is struck and they're perfect together. If they're doing that, I think it's remarkably dumb and I think it's it's not a great not a very interesting thing from the do with respect to these great characters and great actors. I think that's I just absolutely can't know that what yet. they're doing. I think that's absolutely what they're doing. I think they're going for these two. like here's my problem with this is that since the beginning of the show, we have been shown a character Rupert who is with a younger woman and we are meant to believe that the only way he would ever be with her is to be with a younger woman. That's mm-hmm. the only thing. Even though he says on multiple occasions that he actually really likes her, he finds her like to be a great this and that and the other thing. And everybody's we poo-pooed are, it. We poo-pooed it. We thought there's absolutely no way that can be the case because obviously when you're rich and you're older and you get with a young woman, a younger looking, um, you know, good looking person, that it has to be all about the looks and it has to be completely, um, you know, hollow. And here we are with older Wealthy Rebecca, young, strapping football player, 21-year-old Sam. And we're supposed to think that this is true love? This is complete garbage. Like, I, I don't I don't buy it. And I think there's a crazy double standard that they're introducing here with regards to age differences and people, um, you know, between the sexes. Like, when you, are, when you are a 50-year-old lady dating a 21-year-old kid, you are a creep. That is weird. Like, I... Like, I find that very, very strange but, and off-putting, and I don't think it's acceptable simply because it's an older female and a younger, a younger guy. It's one, it's one of those things of where, if they ultimately are playing this for you know they're they're emotionally linking, they're perfect together, they can add something with respect to their lives. That is the classic example of relationship I will only be able to tolerate in retrospect. I'm never going into it going, oh, this is going to work out great, and this is a wonderful idea. Only years down the line of where they ultimately somehow work through every re- reason it's a bad idea. Years down the line, she'll be dead. Yeah. This is, it, a, this is a dumb plot line, and you can you can juxtapose it with the Rupert thing to see just what a double standard they're introducing. I don't, and like I don't And I don't feel like we're being unreasonable when we look at that kind of relationship and just say, it's not only just that it's you know uncomfortable, it's the age difference. It just is also, you're of two fundamentally different places in your lives, in the time yes. of your lives, and what you need, and what you want, and what you're going for. Yes. If this is a fling between two hot people, fine. But I don't think either of them are in the mindset for that. I think either of them are looking for a serious relationship. And this is, odds are, not the place to find it. And then, honestly, my biggest reservation is the one she opens with first. She's his boss. She's his boss's boss. She, well, the only few non-relationship moments she's had this season, which is another complaint I have about her whole character arc, is having her boss-ass bitch moment, I think it was the term, of when she defends Sam and his contract against an outsized sponsor. That's the role that she should have in their relationship, not anything romantic, because it inherently interferes with it. I don't know you what know, the HR it, policy it, this company has, but it damn well should have a point on that regard. Yeah, and you know what it would do? It would introduce a toxic dynamic within the team. But you know what? Like anything else with going on with Sam, I'm pretty sure they won't actually pull that oh. thread and give us the give us the actual consequences of it, of his actions. I'm sure that they won't. Uh, so you know, I'll bet you. I'll bet you the team is like supportive of this. In real life, the team would be absolutely off put. A with the age difference here. B with the seemingly predatory behavior of Rebecca, and C that the favoritism that it would introduce in Sam. And how does he even go into contract negotiations with this club anymore? Unbelievable. 
I, I don't know how, if they actually want to go into a relationship, they can stay in their current roles. He can't stay with the team or she can't stay the owner. I don't know how you work around that, just from a practical standpoint. It, just, it would not be able to be a functioning relationship with, with, with that kind of division, with that kind of imbalance of power and authority. Um, I, Spencer, just, how old are you? How old am I? I'm 35. Okay, can you can you imagine dating a 21-year-old girl right now? Like, no. and, and like going out to dinner and like no. talking about like things? No. No, All right, tack is, 15 years onto that and try it again. That is unbelievable. And it, it's it's no judge of the 21-year-old at all. I just, I'm looking at this going, we're in such a fundamentally different perspective on where we are in life and what we're looking for and what we're trying to get out of a relationship that this is just asking for problems. I'm not... It could happen. There can be great relationships with massive age differences. They've happened out there. But man, is it going in with a lot of different things. She sits down... Uh, Tells you about the new Drake album. You sit down, talk about the investment strategy your 401k broker is using. <laughs> yeah, so it's just true love. Two lovebirds. Uh, one, one other problem I have with this as well is that I feel like as a result of this just focus on Rebecca and her need to find a man and looking to find a man, which is a perfectly fine plot line for where she is and what she's going through and what she would honestly be looking for in, in her life. That's fine. But it's been almost to the exclusion of everything else that I find more interesting. Like, last season, we got to see a lot of her role as being the owner of this team, as directing its management, as running everything else. Other than that one boss-ass bitch moment from, like, episode three now, we've never got to see any of that, because it's all been banter since then. Yeah, you, you, I had not thought of this until this moment, but you are right that Rebecca is probably one of their most interesting characters, probably the best acted character, the most, the best actress that they have on the show, and they are, they're wasting her with nothing but plot lines about her relationships, whether it be her old relationship with Rupert and mourning that or her desire for a new one. There's very little else about her that's being carved out or fleshed out here. And that's actually like not in keeping with the show because they have rounded out a lot of characters um, in this show. Think of what they've done with Roy. They've done a great job of rounding out that personality, giving him depth. They're not doing it for Rebecca. And it's fine to focus on a character's relationships and wanting to be in a relationship. It's an important part of our lives. But when it's to seemingly the exclusion of everything else that you've introduced, like her relationship with her goddaughter, haven't returned to that since like episode two at this point. Or why she stopped talking to her goddaughter for so long. Can yeah, we explore that for a little while? Hasn't talked to her. Haven't seen her talk to her again in several months. Her relationship yeah, with her friends. The new, start the new six-year ticker. And even when she does things that are outside relationships, like when she gives Nate advice, because that's one other scene. She's referencing something else, but we don't ever get to see it. And she's only serving to help somebody else with their relationship advice. She's referencing the idea of how difficult it is to be an owner of a team as a woman. But we never get to see any of that because we're too focused on her and banter this whole season, which I think is one of the two weakest plot lines. How cool would it be if we had an episode that was completely framed around Rebecca going to one of these owners' meetings? I would be fine. I would find that very interesting. Her having a confrontation with Rupert and going through the baggage of that terms with its effect on her is a great thread that they've not yet returned to. They might. I think they might before this season is done. But I've Can found you imagine what I hope. I hope Rupert comes in doing just a dance, like you hypocrite, you hip. I mean, he should just throw this in her well, face. The, the press is going to eat her alive in any realistic As they world. Should. It's going, to, it's going to eat her alive, not only because of, you know, you're dating a younger man, yeah, yeah, the way the tabloids always rip into women in terms of anything that they possibly can, but also dealing with the fact, hey, you stood up for Sam and you lost your biggest sponsor and screwed up your team in episode three. Was that because you wanted to be with him? Ha ha ha. That's the kind of pondering shit they're going to do with respect to this. Yeah. I mean, I think we, I think we've hit it, but like, 
you know, I, I think that there's going to be some people who like this. There's going to be some people who are listening to this who is who are in a relationship with people or, you know, people who have a big age difference. Right. I'm not saying that your relationship's garbage. Like I, I'm I, if it makes you happy, it makes you happy. What I'm saying is that I don't think this is a um, healthy thing to be portraying on the screen. And I think that they're trying to portray it as healthy. And, but I, I think it's inherently an unhealthy thing. And that's that, that tension is what's frustrating me. And this is the one point of where you and I don't necessarily differ, but I have thoughts that they're going to eventually go a different route with it. I see this more as like a growing experience for the two of them and maybe a path in their lives. And they're eventually going to realize it doesn't make sense or is problematic. And if they go that way, it works and they can work it into other things. And I think that's fine. I just don't know anymore. And it gets me worried. I, I don't think that they're going to because I didn't think they'd go down this road and I now I've kind of lost faith in the whole storyline. So I don't know. But um, obviously here on the last of Lowdown, we do not approve <laughs> of where uh, they've gone with that. Two other things for uh, Trainwreck. Just po- yeah, yeah, sure. Fire away. Yeah. Uh, as said, the resolution of everything with respect to the banter, Cerithium, Nigerian plot. If this is really how it's wrapping up in the whole sponsorship thing, that's lame. That's an off-camera resolution. It was a really big, powerful moment. I even said at the time, my opinion of this will really depend on how they land it. And if this is really how they're landing it, episode three was a very unsuccessful episode in a way that's unfortunate. Yep, agreed. Uh, last thing, does it seem like nobody has a case on their iPhone during a lot of these scenes? Is yeah. It, is that purely just so they can get the Apple logo visible on the back of the phones whenever they're using them so the case won't block it out? Yes, that is 100% the reason. That and also um, Apple does have a um, a case that they have put out, right? So they don't, they only, if they're going to show you anything, it would be the Apple case only, right? They don't want to show you like any competitor's case. Well, if so you're using, it's a combination of the two. If you're using an iPhone in a locker room when everybody's sweaty without a case on, you're asking for a shattered screen. So, Well, maybe that's I, what they want you to do. Get, buy another one. This is very possible, but I'm going to do a train wreck the episode with Apple's marketing in that regard for just abandoning realism for the sake of marketing points. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I think that's all we have for train wreck of the episode. Are you ready to go into Sports Center Top 10? Which I do have several here, too. Okay. Sports Center Top 10, where we point out 10, not 11, not 9 things we liked about the episode. Spencer, you always go first, fire away. Uh, uh, Roy and Phoebe's relationship. Roy and Phoebe's relationship is everything. It's wonderful. It is incredibly affectionate. It's incredibly vulnerable. It's very meaningful but for both of them in a variety of ways. They're both growing up through it in their own respective ways, or at least gaining a broader perspective as a person. It's really heartfelt. It's really wonderful, and I adore it. And it, as you noted, it broadens Roy in terms of being able to provide that same kind of support and that same kind of fatherly figure to other people in his life based on how much he gets out of his relationship with his niece. So I'm all for it. It's all great. I love every scene they're in. Boom. Uh, my first one is We Got the Song Down by the Riverside by Mahalia Jackson. Love that song. Yeah. So Mahalia Jackson, uh, born October 26, 1911, died January 27, 1972. She was an American gospel singer. Uh, she had a career of 40 years. And um, she was integral in sort of bridging this gap between what was going on in Christian churches in the Deep South, the gospel movement, and how gospel music was evolving and connecting that to the blues movement and that was that was actually coming into the mainstream and creating this sort of blend of gospel blues that actually uh, brought gospel out of the shadows a little bit and into the American consciousness. 
I would say that she's probably like the queen of gospel blues in, in my mind. Um, interesting thing about her, she was the actual granddaughter of enslaved people. And so she, that um, is something that bled into her work a lot, that she talked about a lot, and was part of the reason why she gravitated toward gospel music to begin with. This sort of idea of like freedom through music, right? Of, of, of feeling, uh, being able to use music to express pain, right? And that's what Mahalia Jackson was really good at. I would say that anybody who has not listened to Mahalia Jackson who has any like of gospel, blues music, or R&B, I say check her out. She was uh, Aretha Franklin before Aretha Franklin, so shout out to Mahalia Jackson. Nice. Uh, next one for me, I've already kind of said it, but the arc that Dr. Sharon and Ted are on in terms of just, you know, two mirrored people that are finally finding a way to help each other. It, it's been great how they've played that out. I love how much our opinions of her have changed over the course of the series as we've slowly learned and revealed more. And I like how the fact that though we were debating whether she what role she would play in the show, she's become integral and it's worked in terms of the overall arc that they're going with here. And so that's skillfully done on their part. I am somewhat surprised, I guess maybe, but not really, to see the amount of people that are now shipping her and Ted in a way that I also really hope the show doesn't go with now, given the shipping God, fandom. That would be weird, wouldn't it? That, that would be also weird and problematic in all kinds of ways, and I really don't think they're going in that route, but I've been proven wrong before. But it's the way people always do. When people work well together and benefit each other, the internet is going to ship them in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Yeah, going back to the last one, I, I always do this. I mispronounced her name. It's Mahalia Jackson, not Mahalia, but anyway. I, I did um, I did so earlier, too. I do that all the time. It's Mahalia. Um, so the next one I have is Wembley Stadium. Oh, oh, that's um, a stadium right there. Yeah, so there's been, there, there's, there was a previous uh, Wembley Stadium, but I'm going to talk about the current Wembley Stadium. This one broke ground in 2002. It was built, took four years to build, 2003 to 2007. It is like smack dab in the middle of a of a urban area so um pretty pretty cool place because you can stay like in hotels and stuff very close to it and walk over it cost a whopping 789 million euros that would be 1.2 billion euros today um to make and uh it opened in march of 2007 hmm. uh, i will also say that it is the stadium that hosts major football matches, including the home matches of the England national team and the FA Cup final. Uh, and also uh, in Wembley Stadium, they also play some NFL football games uh, every year. Uh, typically, uh, they'll send like a crappy Jets and uh, Dolphins team to go play like 10 a.m. <laughs> games, but they play in Wembley, yeah. so that's pretty cool too. We'll smack of a we'll smack a USA in there. A little tidbit for you. Okay. Uh, another one from me, and I mentioned this last season, but I really want to mention it again at this episode. The actor who plays Jamie does a really, really good job with his role. Uh, the way that he conveys emotion with his face and his posture and his little mannerisms when scenes like this happen with his dad is just beautiful. He does so well with it. You feel with him in a heartbeat. He's one of the more effectively emotive characters they have on this show, and I think the actor deserves all the credit for it. There's a line that Ted threw out that Winnie the Pooh was um, actually a bear at the zoo. Uh, actually, a bear at the zoo. This is a zoo at the uh, the it's the ZSL London Zoo, and it was a bear called Winnie the Bear, and mm -hmm. it was one of these bears that just like was super uh, domesticated. Um, and would do all of these cool tricks as far as like hugging and wrestling with, with people and being fed directly and a very big fan 
in London when when Winnie the Bear was around. Spencer, have you ever been to either a carnival or a zoo or anything with a bear that was domesticated and actually like interacted with humans? Really haven't. See it a lot on the internet, but never really been there in person for it. Yeah, I've only seen like one feeding um, in a in a zoo, and I think it was Europe that I saw this, and they actually the the handler felt comfortable enough to go into the cage with the grizzly bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, top five scariest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Fucking terrified me. Uh, other things I've read too. Uh, a. Milne, the author of Winnie the Pooh, drew also influences from his time in World War One of war various unit mascots, including a bear, and also just trying to find some way to cope with being in the trenches of World War One. And of course, his son and the stuffed animals that he that his son would run around with. Ah, uh, so. yes, makes sense. Do you uh, any more? That uh, that's like fifty for me at this point. So that's all I got. That wraps up ten on the nose, like we do every week, perfectly here. Uh, Sports Center Top 10. Uh, Spencer, I guess we can go into Ted's Life Lessons if you're ready for it. I am ready for it. It feels like this is going to be a weighty episode. Uh, so, number one, um, here's a quote that we got. You know the influence you have on her. Use it. This is the teacher. This is Phoebe's teacher to Roy. So, I mean, I think that that quote is pretty uh, pretty self-explanatory. Um, it's good advice to people. To, yeah. Well, I think there's also a little bit of self-awareness, right? You know, oftentimes people will walk around in this world thinking uh, people don't like me. People don't listen to me. I'm not respected. People Like that's often very, very often, almost 100 percent of the time, not true when people are thinking it. And people have a startling lack of self-awareness. And Roy does here, too, about the influence you actually have on others. Try to remember that. Try to be cognizant of it and mindful of it, that when you are interacting with people that care about you that you care about very often you have a, a great deal of effect on on what they think and what they do i also think this is pretty important for people to think about who have a tendency to be outwardly nev- negative a lot mm-hmm. um, i know that's a, a thing that people struggle with but oftentimes if you are outwardly negative to the people that you care about you have an influence on them and you're right. using it in a negative way yeah. and so it's not just it doesn't just affect you when you walk around sourpuss all the time oftentimes you can have a negative influence on those around you it's also an important thing to remember for her you know as you expressed eeyore people like me um that when you've got self-confidence or depression issues to a certain degree in some ways you can at times find it reassuring to think you don't have an impact on others or you don't have much influence and that you can just kind of skate under the radar and that's a really foolish and self-destructive mindset to get in that really isn't true. That it can be reassuring to think that, you know, whatever it doesn't matter. Whatever happens doesn't matter. But you're ignoring a lot of the effect that you have on everybody that you interact with in your life. And it's better to keep track of that and view it in a healthy light than ignore it. Yeah. The next one, this is a quote from our boy Sam. We lost very badly, but we tried. We gave it everything we had. For me, that is okay. What's worse is to not try at all to try is scary because you end up losing a lot. But you have to put your heart out there. Otherwise, what's the point? We're going to set aside the fact that no 21-year-old has ever been that eloquent, ever. And we're just going to take the quote for what it is, because it's true. Um, I've seen many, many people in my life who have a goal and will flounder and will let that goal languish and will not go after it for fear that they will try and fail, right? As opposed to not trying at all, and therefore they don't have to fail. So that's the lesson there, right? Is that um, you... To try is is like inherently courageous because there is mm-hmm. that risk of potentially failing, and it's that's true. the that's the thing. Like we're in an effort game; we're not in an outcome game here on the lasso loadout, right? It's the effort, it's the trying that's important. 
the mm-hmm. outcome, like Ted has said so many times about sports, the outcome is secondary to the effort to what you put into it. And so this is uh, driving home that point for sure. Well said. And finally, this is something that we've seen over and over again in this episode. It's something that Dr. Sharon showed Ted and Ted emulated it. And that is to tell your secrets. Tell your secrets. Mm. The pain dies in the light, folks. When you have something that's, when you have something that's hurting you, the more that you can vocalize it, you can put it out into the light, the better chance you have of being able to, A, take the internal stigma you have for that thing, that, that, that value that you place on it starts to lessen the more that you vocalize it and talk about it. Um, but two, uh, the more that you're able to work with it, uh, either internally, you know, just by, just by airing it and speaking it, but also because you have other people that you can work with it too. So there you go. Tell your secrets. The pain dies in the light. Understood. We'll try. Not today, obviously, but, you know, some point in the future. We'll see. Yeah, these are all life lessons for the listeners. Spencer just basically tunes me out and then goes, man, that was really profound when I'm done. What were we, t- what were we talking about again? Oh, yeah, yeah. You profound things. Well, well done, yes. Train wreck of the episode, right? Yeah. Are we oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rebecca and Sam? Rebecca and Sam. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, okay, so there we go. That is our episode here of The Lasso Lowdown. Spencer, we only have two more. And I think the next one ah, is going. Ah, ah. It's a 12-episode season. Eject. It's they 12? Expa- they expanded it by two late in the call. Okay, so that would make a lot of sense because the next one seems to be one of these one-off episodes where it's just going to be the... What beard, beard on a bender. Does. Yeah, what Beard does on a bender. And I thought that was a pretty strange one to be the for, penultimate For like the episode. penultimate. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a lot of the season left for these guys to play, right? So I'm glad that there's going to be actually three more now that you mentioned it. That's really great. The next one, I think we're... like. So I think this one was... A long episode. There was a lot of plot going on, and there were some things that obviously we didn't like about it. We're probably harsher on this episode than any episode that we've ever reviewed here on the Lasso Lowdown. If you didn't like that, if you you're here for just the casual fun banter and sort of playing around, I'm guessing here. I don't know, but I'm guessing it's going to be a little bit more of a silly lighter episode next episode with Beard on a Bender in downtown London. That's my hope. Spencer, what? any concluding thoughts about this episode or anything forward-looking as we go into Beard's Bender episode? I have the four names of the next episodes. Would you like to hear them? Whoa, yeah, do them. Uh, episode nine, our next one, Beard After Hours. I think we're kind of on point for debating what that's going to be. Hyped. I'm here for that. Ne- one after that, episode 10, sounds, it's not the penultimate, but its name sounds more like one, No Weddings and a Funeral. That one sounds a bit darker in terms of what that's hmm. going to be. Hmm. Uh, episode 11, our actual penultimate. Midnight Train to Royston. Royce, but like R-O-Y. See what that's going to be. And hmm. finally, episode 12, Inventing the Pyramid of Success. Which is written by our head star, Jason Sudeikis. Interesting. So. Man, you've got... Oh man, I'm doing some beard rubs here. Yeah, um, there's a lot of beard rubs that are happening right now on both our end. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Yeah, that is a what a what a little teaser there for the rest of the season. Okay, you've you've given us, you've supplied us forward looking with the names of the episodes. Is there anything backward looking, anything else you want to say to conclude this episode as we I wrap have, everything up here on the Lasso Lowdown? It is interesting to experience a show that is doing multiple episode arcs. It's interesting to experience a show like that that doesn't all release them at the same time so that you can binge them. So I have to really get myself back into much more the classic TV mindset of, as they advised us, patience. We're not done yet. 
Knowing that, knowing they do that, having some confidence with the writers, I'm hoping my concerns right now can eventually be mollified, that they're doing different things than they're expecting on the surface, and a significant portion of the fan base assumes they're just doing straight up. If they do, they can subvert my expectations beautifully and make for a wonderful outcome or for an interesting message. If they don't, I may be disappointed. But I still find a lot in this show that I enjoy, even in these episodes that I've got more mixed feelings on. Yep. Um... I'm going to say that this is still bottom 25% episode for me. There's some good moments, but ultimately I'm not crazy about what they're doing with the plot. I'm not crazy that they've gotten away, away from a lot of the humor. What they've done to Ted is obviously some character building for Ted, but I'm not really enjoying his character on screen the way that I normally am. I like, I like Ted screwing around. Um, this is supposed to be a comedy. I thought it's starting it's to a- lose me. Are you buying when I tell you this is a dramedy, not a comedy? Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. I mean, they're beating beating me over the head with it now. Matter of fact, the the comedy part of that is starting to be left behind. It's starting to just be a drama. So, the dark forest, sir. The dark forest. It's not that I don't like it. It's just that the show seems to be changing and it's leaving behind a lot of the things that I liked about it. But I will say that even a bad episode of Ted Lasso is better than 90% of the things I watch on television. So I am enjoying going through the season. I'm enjoying the fact that you all are here with us and that you're uh, experiencing Ted Lasso with us again. As said previously, if you're enjoying the episode, please rate and review us. We love to hear your reviews. We love to hear what we could potentially do better. We could change. We could add all of that stuff. We like your feedback. Thank you all for listening. We will be back with you next week for season two, episode nine, Beard After Hours. Excited about that. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye.